Good evening, and welcome to the last episode of Haunted by God. In case you're just tuning in, we are going through a special mini-series right now in this podcast where my good friend, Michael James Brown, reads through a portion of a short story which I've written that is called Haunted by God. This week, Michael will be reading from the last chapter out of this short story. As I mentioned in the previous two episodes, Haunted by God is included as bonus chapters in a book which I've written that is called The Shepherd King. If you're interested in my book, I've linked some sources below so you can learn more about it. Now then, I present to you the last chapter of Haunted by God, narrated by Michael James Brown. Chapter 25, The Fear of the Lord A man with a hooded robe walks down a muddy road during a drizzling overcast day. He's been walking for hours. His sandals are caked with mud, his feet are numb, and there isn't an inch of his body the rain hasn't seeped into. But he's been summoned by the five kings. You don't refuse one king's invitation, let alone five. He's nervous, but for some reason, excited to see the relic again. Maybe because now the kings are actually interested in appeasing the god and not just passing it off from town to town. It only took a couple thousand of their subjects to die in order to get these kings to finally concede defeat. They do not want to publicize the event for obvious reasons, so they sent him a sealed letter from a trusted messenger close to the king of Gath. He finally sees the end of the path before him, a large dry tent in the middle of a wet, muddy field. He can feel his presence from here, invading, exposing, pulling him into his gravity. He pauses in the middle of the rain and looks down at his hand, which is shaking again. He grabs his arm, takes a deep breath, and listens to the rain gently falling around him to distract from what lies ahead. Come on, Shane, you can do this. He's less angry than last time, he says to himself before walking over to the tent. There he is, the King of Gath announces. I'm sorry I'm late. The weather delayed me, Shane apologizes, taking his hood off and kneeling before his superiors. Five kings are gathered around a large table with some wise men, magicians, and other advisors from throughout the land. Yes, Shane stands up and locks eyes with Fel, who is at the other end of the table with the King of Ashdod. There is one seat left, and it is on the left side of the King of Ashdod, next to Fel. Shane walks over and sits down. Long time no see, Fell says. I hope you've gained some sense since the last time we talked, Shane replies quietly. Now, the King of Ekron announces, everyone has been called here because you survived an encounter with this god, because you have a special expertise with the spiritual realm that could help us figure out what to do with this relic. I am just going to get straight to the point here, the King of Gath says. I propose we send the Ark back to the land of the Hebrews. Why not just destroy the box? The King of Ashdod offers. I could melt some of the gold down and use it as an offering to Dagon. What? Wasn't this the same god that desecrated Dagon's temple? The King of Ekron points out. For the last time, the statue fell. It was poor construction on the part of my slaves. The King of Ashdod explains. Then why did so many of your priests leave your temple? 
King of Gath points out. I heard they fled to Israel to worship the God of the Hebrews. Where did you hear such blasphemies? My temple to Dagon has never been more illustrious. Tell them, Thel. The King of Ashdod counters. Thel clears his throat. Well, there were some strange phenomena that coincided with this God of the Hebrews coming into our town. His Majesty is right. It can all be explained naturally. We had a large infestation of rats, and the statue of Dagon was consistently falling over. We had another statue installed, and it's as good as new. The rats are gone now, and our people are doing just fine. What are you talking about, Fel? You had the dreams too, didn't you? What dreams? The King of Gath asks. Your Majesty, Shane answers. I had a dream the night before Dagon was beheaded. In it, I saw our god Dagon beheaded, bleeding and crying out in pain at the feet of this god. That was just a dream, nothing more, Fel insists. Just a dream, Yashane protests. Come on, we all know that dreams are from the gods. Right, Hukma? All eyes turn to Hukma. He's an old sagely prophet with a long resume and an even longer beard. He is what his name means, wise, and he hails from Gath. He is right, the sage affirms. A dream like that, which is fulfilled the next day, has to be from the gods. Still, the rats are a good explanation for the plague. And how can you explain Kilion, the priest that just looked at that thing the wrong way and went mad? Yashane challenges. Well, we can't rule out the possibility that the relic is under a powerful curse, Hokma points out. A curse? Give me a break. Have you even been next to that thing, let alone touched it? Yashane asks incredulously. There's no curse in the world that could bear that much aura and power. I'm just trying not to rule anything out. Hukma reasons. We've never encountered anything like this relic, and we still don't know fully who or what we are dealing with here. Okay, okay, Hukma. Did you and the Diviners come up with a plan for what we should do with the Ark? The King of Ekron asks. Yes, how should we send it back to the land of the Hebrews? The King of Gath asks. Hukma stands up and motions for one of the slaves to fetch something for him. Well, after studying it, researching its history, and doing some extensive divination, here's what we propose. If you do send it back to the land of the Hebrews, do not send it back empty, but return it along with the guilt offering. Then perhaps he will reveal to you why his hand has not been removed from you for the past seven months. Okay, so what offering should we send with it? The King of Gath asks. The servant emerges from the back of the tent with a hefty chest. He sets it down on their table and opens it up. Hukmah reaches in with both hands and pulls out two shiny objects, one in the shape of a tumor and the other in the shape of a rat. Rats and tumors, the sage says with a smile. The king of Ekron scratches his head. Why rats and tumors? Hukmah sets the objects down on the table. These are just some prototypes made of bronze I had my servants whip up. But I would suggest that five sets of golden rats and tumors be made, one for each of the kings here, because every one of your towns has experienced the same plague from the rats. Give glory to the god of the Hebrews. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, your gods, and your land. Hukmah stands up and begins to pace back and forth in front of their table. We investigated the history of this peoples, and this god is no joke. He annihilated the entire army of Egypt without using a single man, and before that, he filled Pharaoh's land with plagues of all kinds, worse than ours, 
until they let the Israelites go. It took decades for the Egyptians to recover. So take my advice and don't risk it. Don't harden your hearts as the Egyptians and their Pharaoh did. If this is the God of the Hebrews, then we better not take any chances. We must return the ark with a guilt offering to acknowledge that it was his hand that was behind all of this. But how do we know we aren't giving a guilt offering to a fancy golden box? After all, we did defeat his people easily, the king of Ashdod points out. I thought about that as well, Hukmar replies. And here's what I propose. Prepare a brand new cart with two milking cows that have never been on a yoke before and that have just given birth to calves. Hitch the two cows to the cart and place the ark on top of the cart. Then we put their newborn calves far away from the Israelites' territory in our homeland. Now what are these two cows going to want to do? Well, they certainly won't know how to walk together, Shane answers. If they have never been yoked together, they will probably go in opposite directions, and not in a straight line. And they will ultimately want to go away from the land of the Hebrews, the king of Gath adds. Their instincts would lead them to turn around and go toward their young. Precisely. This way we make it almost impossible for the Ark to return to its home country. So if it does return, then well, it would have been an act from a god. But if the cows zigzag around our land, or if they turn around and go towards their young, then we'll know that Fell was right, and this was all just a really, really big coincidence. Okmar finishes, putting his hands on his hips in pride. I love it, Shane replies. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea to me too, Fell chimes in. I have to admit, Okmar, you've outdone yourself here. Then it's settled, the king of Ashdod says. We shall give Hogmar the gold to have the guilt offering made. My city can provide the cart and the cows, and we will all convene back here once everything is prepared. We can finally get to the bottom of this once and for all. A week later, the same tent that was in the middle of a muddy field is now surrounded by tall green grass on a bright sunny day. The birds are chirping, and some cows are mooing in the background. Yashane is looking at one of the golden tumors that suspiciously looks a lot like the one he had on his neck. He holds it up to his neck just to make sure, and yep, it even has the same lumps. Hokma, I don't know how you do it, he says to himself. What are you doing with that thing? The fellow interrupts. What does it look like I'm doing? This thing is totally just like the tumor I had on my neck back when Yahweh terrorized us, Shane explains. Uh, you mean when the rats infested our city? Fell corrects. Shane puts the tumor down and sits forward in his seat. Fell, I don't get it. You seemed so sure that this was the god of the Hebrews when we were going through it, but as soon as the ark left the city and things started going back to normal, you dismissed the whole thing. What can I say? I got caught up in the moment, Fell replies confidently. I overreacted, and when I saw that the tumor started to go away, and the people came back to town and to the temple, I came back to reality, Shane, and you should too. At least when this is all over, you will see for yourself. This was all just a coincidence. We'll see, my friend, and for both our sakes, I want to believe that you are right, Shane responds honestly. He looks off at the cows, which are being hitched up for the experiment and then over to the servants who are preparing the new cart. Let's just say that I am right, hypothetically, 
and this all turns out to have been the God of the Hebrews, that this God is unimaginably powerful and terrifying. What would you do? What? Like, do you mean, would I keep worshipping Dagon if I found out there was a god so vastly superior to mine and so vastly more powerful than the one I currently worship? Fel asks. Ishane nods yes, and Fel puts his hand on his chin to think. Well, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't keep worshipping Dagon, that's for sure. Shane laughs briefly, which gives Fel time to think deeper and respond from the heart. Seriously, though. If this god of Hebrews were that powerful, what could I do to fight him? Where could I go to escape him? We would be puppets, pawns in his game. I guess I'd have no choice but to join him and hope he isn't like all the other gods. Be careful. Wouldn't want the kings of the priests to hear that, Shane teases. They both finally crack a smile and part ways before the carts are readied and the ark is sent off. A few hours later, some of the servants are pulling a stubborn cow over to the ark. The cow looks back at her calf, who is in a cage and bleeding loudly, crying out for her mother. A few more servants step in and finally pull her over and strap her into the new cart that has the guilt offering resting in the back. Both the cows are anxious, and as they see their two calves getting carried away toward the big tent in the distance, they are visibly concerned and moo louder. They are barely restrained by a dozen servants. Hurry up and bring out the Ark, the King of Ekron orders, as he and the four other kings stand a good distance behind the cart with their wise men and magicians. Fel and Yashane stand next to the King of Ashdod and Hakma. Yashane is tapping his foot and biting his nails, anxious to get this over with. Four servants emerge from behind the crowd carefully holding the Ark on two poles. They slowly and carefully walk up to the cart, and as they are placing the Ark on the cart, one of them trips. He almost falls and drops the Ark but at the last second, he catches himself and grabs the pole again, saving the ark from falling down. Another servant was inches away from touching the ark, and in a full sweat. Careful! Yashane shouts. The servants all breathe a collective sigh of relief and finish putting the ark onto the cart. They quickly walk away from the dangerous relic and watch behind the kings, anxious to see the outcome. The other servants who are holding the cows told to let go and stand back, and they happily oblige. Everyone is fixated on the cart, wondering what is going to happen next. The cows begin bleating and moaning. They turn around and walk back toward their young, but after a few steps, they whine in pain and fear. Then the cows freeze in place. It looks as if a puppeteer is pulling the strings on their bodies and yanks the cows into an upright position. A few of their joints pop and their muscles creak, trying with all their fiber to resist. But the puppeteer is firmly in control. He begins to pull the strings and the cows walk in perfect synchronization, each step in line with the other. They turn 180 degrees away from their calves and head on the road toward Israel. The puppeteer releases his grip on their mouths for a good show. The cows begin their mooing again as they hear their calves crying out for their mothers. The kings and the wise men stand in disbelief and silence as they hear the eerie moans and tortured cries of the cows and 
seemed to be possessed by some otherworldly force. After a minute or two, the cows pick up speed and crest the hill in the background. Fell dashes toward the hill to see if the cows are really going to go all the way to the land of the Hebrews. Without a word, the rest of the kings and the wise men follow suit. About an hour or two later, the sun is getting close to setting, and they see the town of Beth Shemesh, the nearest Israelite settlement. They stop at a small stream that marks the border to Israel and watch the cows, still bleating in anguish, walking perfectly in sync into one of the fields on the outskirts of Beth Shemesh. All eyes around the campfire are fixated on old man Aben as he looks around. He can see that his story hit the mark. The kids are completely frozen in fear. Not everyone, that is, but Benai, who's drawing in the dirt, unamused with the story. Uh, well, you can't please everyone. These kids will be talking about this story for years to come, he thinks to himself before finishing recounting his tale. Once they reached the field, the cows collapsed out of exhaustion, and the cart finally stopped. Then one by one, speechless, the kings and wise men silently walked back to their hometowns. Rumor has it that to this day, no one will step foot on the temple threshold in Ashdod because of what happened there. After a few seconds of silence, Yoav chimes in. Well, what happened next? Well, I don't know what happened to Yashane, Fell, and Killy, Eben says as he sits back on his log. But the way I heard it, Killy eventually went mad and never recovered from his encounter with Yahweh. As for the Ark, the hand of Yahweh was heavy on the people of Beth Shemesh for a while. Gashi didn't take too kindly to their worship of the sun god Shemesh. So, since I only worship Yahweh, I offered to took the Ark off their hands, and the rest is history. Are you telling ghost stories again? The kids all jump up in fright as Eleazar walks up behind Aben, who did not realize that his son was still up this late. Uh, no, of course not. I'm just telling them the story of how the Ark came before a city, Aben replies. Mr. Aben, I don't want to go in your tree anymore, one of the kids cries out with tears in his eyes. That's even worse, Eleazar exclaims. Look at their faces. They're terrified of Yahweh. I thought this camp was supposed to teach the next generation about the love and compassion of Yahweh, not scare them away from our God. Eleazar turns to the audience. All right, kids, that's enough for tonight. It's way past curfew. And Dema, come here. He kneels and puts his hand on Dema's shoulders to level with the crying child. You don't have anything to be afraid of. That story is about what Yahweh does to the people who hurt us. He would never do something like that to you, okay? Demon nods and wipes the tears from his eyes. Okay, now go get some sleep. We have a long day tomorrow, Eleazar says, patting Demon's head before turning back to Aben. What? No, Aben protests. These kids need to learn to respect our God early on. It teaches them to have confidence and trust in Him. The kids get up and begrudgingly head over to their tree cabins. I just don't want you to overdo it, Father, Eleazar explains. I mean, look at how scared Dumas was. Do you think he's going to pray to Yahweh now? 
Or what about when he grows up and makes a mistake? Do you think he will come offer a sacrifice before the Ark? I don't know, but hey, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as I always say. Aben reasons. Eleazar palms his face and walks away from the fire. Thanks for listening to this special mini-series, Haunted by God. I really hope you enjoyed it, guys. Me and Michael put a lot of work into these narrations. Next week, we're going back to our regular content in the Book of Judges, and we will be going over one of the most famous judges in the Bible, Gideon. That does it for the spooky stories. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.